Well, good morning. Welcome to Sailorville Church. Welcome to those of you who are watching online. As Andrew prayed at the end of the announcements, he prayed for Stephen as he spoke, and I heard someone whisper, who is Stephen? <laughs> and that was Pastor Pat. <laughs> so appreciate that vote of confidence. I hope to fill that in for you just a little bit this morning before we get started. We've got a picture of my family up there. My name is Stephen Moore. That is my lovely wife, Ellen. She is the oldest daughter of Chuck and Diane DeClean. And I just felt my stock go up in this room. So <laughs> glad for that. That's our oldest son, Samuel, next to me. He just turned 14, got his learner's permit. And so we've been tooling around the Sailorville parking lot and uh, really enjoying that. Uh, my next son is Benjamin. He's in the blue and yellow there. And uh, he's our little comedian. He likes to keep us laughing. And then Jariah, the one with glasses, is our third born. He's very artistic, which he did not get from me, but he's also very accident prone, which he did get from me. So most of our trips to the hospital have been with him. And then uh, Isaiah, our youngest boy, is our little theologian. He just professed Christ as his Savior just a few months back. We praise the Lord for that. And we really think we're already seeing fruit because he loves to ask Bible questions now. He's always asking Bible questions came up to me the other day and he said, Daddy, if God knew that Satan would be bad, why did God make him? And I said, son, that is an excellent question. You should go ask your mother. <laughs> and our little baby girl, Emma, is right there. She's four years old and we have a term for her. We call her aggressively affectionate. Uh, we once found her in the basement of our home chasing all four of her brothers around yelling, come back here, I love you. So... <laughs> It's cute now, but it's got my father's heart a little bit worried about the future. So that's who we are, and my position is with the Engage Network. I am your Engage Network church planting resident. And what that means is that, Lord willing, uh, after spending 18 months, we've been in for about six months now, but after spending about 18 months in training, uh, we will plant the seventh church in the Engage Network. Currently, we serve at uh, New City Church with Pastor Adam and the staff there. And it works out well that I can be at different churches in the morning and still fulfill my responsibilities there. Uh, we left 17 years of pastoral ministry, five years in my first location and 12 years in my second location. I was the lead pastor in both of those places. And I'll be honest with you that at the beginning of 2020, I did not see a change in ministry coming any more than any of us saw the COVID-19 pandemic coming. Uh, the Lord was blessing where we were. We had a wonderful ministry, had wonderful ministry partners. God was doing great things. And then he came along and he put this opportunity before us. He laid it on our hearts. And after much prayer and many tears, we said our goodbyes and we came here to this position. And we are glad to be here. We rejoice and we are thankful for the opportunity and hopeful for what God has for us. I'd also like to personally thank you, Sailorville Church. We live in the house just right across the street. Uh, you have provided that home for us and it is working out wonderfully uh, as our temporary home during this residency. So I want to say thank you very, very much. It's my privilege to open the Word of God with you this morning. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. 1 Peter chapter 1, the sermon this morning is titled, Our Living Hope. 
our living hope. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 9. And if I could give you just a quick background of 1 Peter, this epistle is written under the gathering clouds of persecution. Suffering is coming for the followers of Christ. And Peter takes pen in hand to encourage and to exhort them to stand firm in all that they may face. He reminds them right away in verse 1, they are spiritual exiles in this land. He reminds them in verse 2 that their allegiance ultimately is to God. Now, I know what you're thinking already. It's, it's really sad that I didn't pick a text that could apply to our cultural moment, right? This text is just as relevant and applicable for us in the 21st century as it was for those in this first century audience. One commentator sums up the, the atmosphere this way. He said, the immediate future for the church was going to be an increase in conflict with the world. But God would provide the grace that would enable this community to be faithful and to grow into maturity. That was true then, and it's true today. God will provide the grace, even in the face of difficulty and suffering, for us to be faithful and to grow into maturity. This is our text for this morning. Begin in verse 3 and follow along as I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." I wonder how many of you this morning are familiar with the, the show Antiques Roadshow. Antiques Roadshow. Have you ever seen that? Now, I am, I am not into antiques. I don't know anything about antiques. Whatever, whatever the opposite of a hoarder is, that's what I am. I'm a pitcher. I get rid of stuff, and it's caused problems in my marriage at times. You know, if something's sitting around and it's gathering dust, it hasn't moved for a while, I say, hey, let's just get it out of here, throw it away. My wife says, that was our second born, Stephen, you can't do that. <laughs> but the premise of this show is still fascinating to me. People, people bring items onto the show, and, and sometimes, yes, they're trash, they're junk, but, but sometimes they bring something, and it, and it turns out to be a real treasure. There's an incredible value there that the owner did not know about. Now, let's be clear on something this morning. The value of that item was always there, correct? The value was always there, but the owner was not aware of it 
until it was made clear to them. And how is it made clear? Well, they bring in these experts. They bring in people who examine the pieces and they explain the origin, they explain the nature, the history, or perhaps the significance of the piece. And once that value is made known, I'm sure it has a great impact on the owner. Well, I want you to take this big idea away from this morning. Our living hope holds priceless value for the future and for today. So as Christians, we should live like it. The living hope that we possess holds priceless value for the future and for today. So live like it. Scripture is going to be our expert this morning. And this text is going to show us where our hope comes from. It's going to show us why we can trust our hope. And it's also going to show us what the effects of a living hope will have on our life. So let's study together. Let's see, first of all, in verse 3, the source of our hope. The source of our hope. Let me ask you a question. Where does your hope come from? Where does your hope come from? That is a question that you need to be able to answer because there's something very important you need to know this morning. Listen to this. Your hope is how you handle what you face. Your hope is how you handle what you face. When those difficulties and problems arise, when you face uncertainty, you will turn to your hope to get you through. It might be your checkbook. It might be your job. It might be your particular talents or abilities. It might be relationships. It might be sinful substance. But you will turn to whatever your hope is. That's how you handle what you face. So you need to know where is your hope coming from. And this verse makes it clear for us theologically. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter is explicitly telling his readers, and he's telling us this morning, that God is the source of our hope. God, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again through Jesus Christ. He is the initiating, effective actor of our salvation. God did it. And we are born again to a hope, a salvation, an eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's mercy and the obedient work of Christ is the source of of our hope. Now notice that it says it's a living hope. It's a living hope. We've only been uh, around Sailorville and the engaged churches for about six months now, but I've already figured out something. You guys really like basketball. There's a lot of ballers around here, and I am not one. I am the prime candidate for the Hustle Award, which we all know what that means. You stink, but you try really, really hard. I love to play, I enjoy it, but I have to admit, it's, it's, it's difficult. The very first time that I played, right here in the Sailorville gym they, gym, they put me against Pastor Pat Nemers. And I check the ball in, and he steps back and just nails a three-pointer, just right in my face. He looked at me and he said, we can shoot off the inbound, my house, my rules. 
And, and I'm starting to feel, you know, there's going to be a little bit of pressure. When, when I plant a church, we're going to have to come up with, you know, Living Hope Church's basketball team or something like that. That's, that's a joke, not an announcement, by the way. We're going to have to come up with a basketball team. And, and I'm a little nervous, but I have a plan. We're going to recruit a star player to come to our church. And I already know who it is. We're going to recruit Wilt Chamberlain. The guy scored 100 points in a single game. We're, we're going to have him be the anchor of our church team. It's kind of quiet in here. You guys don't seem too impressed. What's the problem? He was a great basketball player. He's dead. It'd be different if I could re recruit LeBron James or an actual living basketball player on my team. That would make a difference. But someone who is dead doesn't make a difference. I shouldn't put my hope in him. Let me ask you a question, church. Is Jesus alive? Yes, yes he is. And he is our living hope. Paul David Tripp says that our hope is not this think-so, hope-so idea, but it is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. Is God the source of your living hope? He should be. He must be. All other hopes will disappoint you. Not only do we see the source of our hope in this text, but we see the security of our hope. The security of our hope. Can our hope be trusted? Can God be trusted? I'll be honest with you this morning. I've walked through difficulties. I've faced things that sometimes have caused me to really wonder what God was up to. Maybe you have some of those questions in your heart or in your life this morning, and you're struggling and you're wondering, can God really be trusted? Is he really going to keep his promises? Look at verse 4. You've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is unfading. Peter is telling his audience, and the Holy Spirit is telling us this morning, that we have a hope, we have an inheritance that is both valuable and it is secure. It is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading. Those words mean that it cannot be destroyed. I think of a fire. I, I've never had a, somebody who is a friend or a family member of mine lose their home to a fire. Perhaps you know a situation like that. And fire does what? It just destroys completely. If a house burns to the ground, there's very little left. It's all destroyed. That won't happen to your hope. It won't be destroyed and it won't be devalued. Now, I am a baseball fan and I saw the other day that a Topps Mickey Mantle baseball card sold at auction for $1.6 million. A baseball card for $1.6 million. Now, imagine somehow I had enough resources to do that. You know, maybe the fourth stimulus package will get me there. <laughs> but imagine I purchased this baseball card for $1.6 million. And since it's of such great value, I don't want to lose it. So I take a Sharpie and I flip it over and I write, Property of Stephen Moore, if found, please call. What have I just done? I have devalued completely that card. It is no longer in mint condition. Your hope cannot be destroyed, and it cannot be devalued. The text also says that it will not decay. Please don't be offended at me this morning, but the greatest illustration of decay is any of us in this room who are 30 or over, okay? 
that's the best way that I can lay this word out for you. You know, somewhere we peaked and we started going down. And you can work really hard and try really hard to get that train going back up the hill a little bit, but you're fighting a losing battle. We are decaying. We are breaking down. Your hope will never do that. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be devalued. And it will not decay. In verse 4 and verse 5, I want you to notice two words two tenses and two statements that highlight the total security of our hope. It's an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. That's the first word. Verse 5 says it is by God's power, and we are being guarded. That is the second word, through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The word kept, the word guarded, The two tenses that Peter uses tell us that our our guard is in place, our protection is already in place, and it will continue indefinitely. And the two phrases are the power of God ready to be revealed in the last time. We have protection, security in place, and it will stay in place until the last times. That's actually that word apocalypse that Pastor Pat has talked to us about in First and Second Thessalonians. There's a guard. There's a vigilant security that will never go away. I want to show you a picture here from Arlington National Cemetery. Maybe you didn't know this, but it was 100 years ago in November 1921 that the first unknown was laid to rest in the tomb of the unknown. This is a picture that I had the opportunity to take when I was there with my family just a couple of summers ago. This tomb was established in 1921, but later in 1937, 1937, a permanent guard was put in place that stays in function 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. This guard at the Tomb of the Unknown has never been interrupted, not by inclement weather or even terrorist attacks. The guards stick to a rigid protocol, and their weapons are not ceremonial only. They are functional, and they are loaded. The guards have been given the authority to warn and then to shoot to kill to protect the tomb from being defaced. When you're there... It's sobering. It's serious to see how they take their duty. It's serious, and you can just feel the security around that monument. Folks, in an even more perfect way, God is keeping, he is securing, and he is guarding the living hope of every believer unto the end. This is the security of our hope. The the source of our hope is God. The security of our hope comes from God. Third in the text, we see the symptoms of our hope. Well, if God does it and God secures it, what, what, what do we do? What does this mean for us? How does it make a difference? Now, I know choosing the word symptoms is maybe an interesting thing to do in the middle of our cultural moment. But honestly, I thought that the pandemic makes this point even more clear. We are thinking about symptoms a lot. If you walk up to me after the service and say, hey, Stephen, how you doing? And I say, well, you know, I'm doing all right. I just can't smell or taste anything. (laughs) Bro, what are you doing here? You got the Rona. Get out. (laughs) 
for the most part, those symptoms have been pretty consistent with the coronavirus, right? Well, what we see in this text is that there should be symptoms in the lives of Christians who are living according to their living hope. What are they? Well, first of all, we see that Peter says the Christian, as Christians, we will rejoice in suffering. We will rejoice in suffering. Verse 6 says, in this you rejoice. That, that's the source. That's the security. You rejoice in this, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You see that Peter puts suffering and rejoicing together? He's pointing to the reality that a Christian who is living in light of their eternal hope will be symptomatic through joy. Even when they face suffering, they will show the symptoms of their hope by rejoicing. One commentator said it this way, a living hope will result in a present joy. A Christian's joy is independent of their circumstances. Christians do not rejoice because of suffering, but because of the glorious expectation of our future with Christ. The symptom, the first symptom of a living hope is the ability to rejoice even in suffering. The second symptom is that we will endure through suffering. We will endure through suffering. The language in verse 6 emphasizes that these trials are brief, but they are necessary. What does that mean? Why does he say they're necessary? Look at verse 7. So that there's divine purpose. These trials and these struggles are not meant to crush you, but to confirm you, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One author said it this way, God never allows trials without purpose. He allows trials on purpose. And the purpose of those trials is to confirm you and to reveal that you are his. You will endure through suffering. Notice the positive tone of verse 7, that you may be found. This is exactly what our trials are doing. They're revealing the symptoms of our hope. We will come out of the fire like gold when Christ appears. There's that apocalypse word again. And we will be to the praise, the glory, and the honor of the one who saved us and sustained us. Our hope will bear the symptom of one who endures. I already mentioned I'm a fan of baseball. I'm a big Cubs fan. Don't insult me by asking if it's only been since 2016. It's long before that. 2016 was a pretty exciting year. And my oldest son loves the Cubs as well. And so that year for Christmas, we, we got him that DVD that's all of the, the World Series games. And he loves to watch that. And sometimes we'll watch that as we're, as we're going down the road. And I, and I can't help but to get kind of excited and even angsty as I'm listening to this coming through the sound system. My wife sitting next to me just shaking her head. You know what happens. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat when there's two strikes on Ben Zobris and a runner on second. I'm like, what's going to happen? I know what's going to happen. 
Folks, we will wrestle with those ups and downs, those emotional things. But the scripture tells us that when our hope is in Christ, we know how the game ends. Live like it. We will, in, we will rejoice in suffering. We will endure suffering. We just sang those beautiful words. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail because the God I serve knows only, he knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. The symptoms of a hope-filled Christian are not a sadistic enjoyment of suffering and loss, but it is a hope, it is a confident expectation that we are saved and loved by our gracious God and that through our glorious Savior we can rest in his goodness and sovereignty even when it is hard because we anticipate the day when all praise, honor, and glory will be to him. The third and final symptom of our hope that we see in this text is that we will love our unseen Savior with unbelievable joy. We will rejoice in suffering, we will endure through suffering, and we will love our unseen Savior with unbelievable joy. You know, we, we share something else in common with Peter's audience, not just our cultural moment. We haven't seen the risen Savior with our own eyes. But we will. And that hope sustains us. That belief confirms us in a way that brings about unbelievable joy. Rogers says this is a joy that defies all human efforts at understanding or explanation. We will love our unseen Savior with unbelievable joy. Just for a personal moment, if I could say to you, why in the world? Why would we leave a ministry that was doing well, that was very fulfilling, and that was very encouraging. Why would we step away from that from, for something completely unknown? The Savior that I love and the Savior who gave his all for me has called me to do it. And I will obey with joy. When your hope is in Christ, I don't know what that thing might be that you are being called to that looks difficult or hard or uncertain, but the symptom that should flow out of your life is the ability to love your unseen Savior in obedience and in joyfulness. Verse 9 is really incredible. It says that we are obtaining the outcome of our faith. We are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. What does this mean? We're obtaining, we're receiving in this moment exactly what we're looking to and hoping for in the end. I don't think I can say it any better than Pastor Wearsby. He's quoting Spurgeon here, and he says, A little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. It's not enough that we long for heaven during times of suffering. Anyone can do that. What Peter is urging his readers to do is to exercise love, faith, and rejoicing so that they might experience some of the glory of heaven even in the midst of their suffering now. Will you love your unseen Savior with unbelievable joy? Will you endure through suffering? Will you rejoice in suffering then you have the symptoms 
of a living hope. I challenge you this morning as we close. Christian, you do have this hope. You do have it, so live like it. Welcome to the Living Hopes Roadshow. Take out your living hope. Maybe it's been stuffed in the back of the closet. Maybe it's been under the bed or collecting dust on the nightstand over these last several months. I want you to take it in your hands, and I want, to, want you to look at the hope that you have because of Christ. It is not trite. It is not cheap. It is not trash. Your living hope in Christ is a priceless, powerful possession, and it enables you to face anything and everything that you will face in the future and today. That's the hope that you have. Maybe you slipped in here today and, and you don't have that hope. Maybe you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe you've never realized that God in his love and mercy sent Jesus Christ to this earth to live the life that you couldn't live and then die the death that you didn't want so that by faith in his completed work, you can have salvation and forgiveness and a home in heaven someday. Maybe hope is an unfamiliar word to you. You're just happy to have a little happiness every once in a while. Jesus Christ, in his obedience to the Father's plan, took your sin, debt, and mine and died that we might have forgiveness. Forgiveness for all of our past, forgiveness for all of our future, and hope for every single day. If you don't know that hope today, please don't leave without talking to me or one of the Sailorville pastors or perhaps the friend who brought you and receive the hope of Jesus Christ. Remember, Christian, your hope is how you handle what you face. So what are you facing, and how are you handling it? Will you run to your checkbook, to your job, to relationships or substances, or will you lean on the living hope that is yours in Jesus Christ? Pastor Wearsby gives us these words. This hope gives us encouragement and enablement for daily living. This hope does not put us in a rocking chair while we complacently await the return of Jesus. This hope puts us on the battlefield where we keep going when the burdens are heavy, where we keep going when the battles are hard. Our hope is not a sedative. Our hope is a shot of adrenaline. It is like an anchor that stabilizes us in the storms of life. But unlike an anchor, our hope moves us forward. It will not hold us back. Live in light of your living hope today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the living hope that we have because of your faithful, obedient Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us hope, not in our own efforts, not in anything that we could ever say or do, but thank you for being the source of our hope, for, for reaching down in your love and mercy even before the foundations of the world with your gospel plan to call us to yourself. Lord, you are the source of our hope and we are so thankful. I pray if anyone has walked in here today who does not know Christ, that they would not leave without receiving the living hope. Thank you that you secure us to the end. We are kept by the power of God, and in this we rejoice. And in this we live out, joyful even in suffering. We endure even in hardship, 
because we love the Savior who we have not seen, but we believe we will see. Oh, Lord, you are protecting us to the end. May we live faithful until we see you again in light of our hope in Jesus' name.